Well, as we remain standing, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, I think most of us would agree that words have power. What we say, the way we say it, it it has an effect. So much of what sticks with us through our lives are the words that people have said to or about us. Many of us carry wounds from harsh or thoughtless words. Many of us carry joys from compliments or surprise encouragements that we've received. Words can build up and they can tear down. They can bring sadness or joy. Words are memorable. Clearly, the words we use are of vital importance. What we say matters. Well, in our series in the book of Acts, we have looked at how the disciples were bound together by a common faith in and leading by Jesus Christ. That they were given a work to do and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. This morning, we see that mission manifested in what might be the greatest sermon ever given by anyone not named Jesus. Peter boldly proclaims that through the plan of God, Jesus Christ has come as the unique Lord and Savior. That he is unlike any other and has done something on our behalf that no one else could ever do. Powerful words that had an incredibly powerful effect through the work of the Spirit with 3,000 souls. Finding salvation that day. It is that same proclamation, those same words, that the church is empowered to lay before the world to this day. And so we want to dig into this proclamation. We want to dig into it so that we, the people of Christ at St. Aidan's, might faithfully and truthfully proclaim Jesus to the world. The truth of the uniqueness of Christ. The truth of the Father's glorious plan. The truth of the problem that we all have. And the truth that Christ provides the solution. So let's start with this first piece. How is it that Peter shows that Jesus is unique? Well, he begins with how he lived. Peter, in verse 22, says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. He begins by reminding these folks that they all knew Jesus. They all knew the man that he was as he walked among them. That God attested or provided clear evidence that Jesus was different through all that Jesus said and did. We heard about that in the gospel reading this morning, didn't we? 
No one has ever spoken like this. No one has ever taught like this. And that is only a piece of it. They saw how he opened the eyes of the blind. They saw how he cared for the widow, the outcast, those who were seen as unsavable or unworthy of God. Jesus embraced them. He healed them. He was different. He was simply different. And it is still plain for us to see this day. Even living in a culture that is post-Christian, the name of Jesus still carries weight. His teaching continues to shape the lives of those who live now. Even those who don't believe in him. Even those who don't realize that what it is they believe actually finds its origin in him. Jesus was different. But the truth is, if Peter simply left his case at, well, he did some amazing things while he was walking among us, it would have been less than satisfying, let's say. After all, we could all list many people who have accomplished amazing things in their lives. As we've said before, miracles alone aren't enough. And so Peter does not stop at what Jesus did as he walked among the people. He points to the one thing that ultimately makes Jesus unlike any who has ever lived. It's the resurrection. The centerpiece of this sermon is the resurrection. The truth that Jesus died and now lives again, never to die again. There's no one else who can make that claim. And Peter makes it explicit. Verse 23 states this, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now we're going to pause here for a second. The point that we want to see here right now is that Jesus genuinely died. Peter says, you crucified and killed. He wasn't seriously wounded. He didn't resuscitate. He was dead. But, he continues. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus, my friends is more powerful than death itself, and he has conquered it. The father raised his son, and now he lives and will never die again. No one else in history could make that claim. And as evidence of this, Peter points to one of the most revered figures in Jewish history, King David. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. As great as David was, he still died. He conquered lands and peoples, but he could not conquer death. You know how they knew that? 
because they could point to his tomb. He was still in it. They could not do the same for Jesus. Oh, you could go to the place that he was buried, and you could peer inside, but you would find nothing but empty space. It's perhaps one of the best pieces of concrete evidence for the resurrection, for all the attempted cover-ups, all the excuses given by the enemies of Christ, no one ever produced a body. If Jesus was still dead, why not simply prove it by providing a body? They couldn't do it because he was not there. He is alive and he is risen. And it is because Jesus is risen, because he ascended to the Father, that the Spirit has come causing the very scene that is mystifying this crowd. This Jesus, Peter says, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this day that, you, that which you yourselves are seeing and hearing. All of what they are experiencing, all of what they are so captured by, it is because Jesus is alive and ascended. Let all the house of Israel, Peter proclaims, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The resurrection of Jesus Christ reveals him to be the unique Son of God, the Christ that the people of Israel had been waiting for and that all people need. The resurrection of Jesus Christ it is the turning point of history, and so it is the main point, the centerpiece of all that the church proclaims. Now, it has become popular in some Christian circles, to downplay the resurrection or even to deny it, because it sounds silly to contemporary ears. We think, well, of course those ignorant ancient people believed he was risen. They didn't have all the knowledge we do now. They weren't as educated as we are now. After all, we have the internet, the fount of all human wisdom. And also cat videos. Well, dear friends, we suffer from what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. The belief that since we come after, we must therefore know more since we are more advanced. Well, such a position only reveals our deep ignorance of those who came before us. The Jewish people believed in a general resurrection at the end of time, certainly, but they did not teach that one single man would be raised from the dead, that the Messiah would rise again. The resurrection was just as offensive to their sensibilities as it is to modern ones. It's why you would never make this story up if it hadn't happened. No one would be convinced by it. Even Thomas needed more evidence. And Jesus, in his grace and mercy, provided just that. 
The resurrection shows the uniqueness of Christ in part because it is so unbelievable. But all of the evidence of the time points to the truth that it genuinely happened, including the fact that the earliest church would not stop talking about it. Peter, Paul, all of the apostles, the central focus of their preaching is the resurrection of Christ because it is the thing that changes all things. They had no doubt that it happened. Make no mistake. And since it did, Jesus is unlike any other. He is more powerful than death itself. And so it is the resurrection of Christ which shapes all that we say about Jesus, all that we do in his name. We cannot set it aside or downplay it. For as Paul teaches, since Christ is risen from the dead, shall all be made alive. If we are going to proclaim the resurrection and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, that he is alone, both Christ and Lord, then we must also keep in mind that all of the events, all that happened to him, went according to the plan, the glorious plan of the Father. Since Jesus is Lord, he has been the saving plan from the beginning of time. It was not that God created the world, And then people came along and then we just foiled his plan because of our sin. So that God was left looking at things thinking like, oh, awesome guys, what do I do now? Way to go. Well, I guess I'll just send Jesus. That sounds like a good plan B. No. Jesus was, is, and always will be the plan. The crucifixion was not a surprise to God. He was not caught off guard by it. It was the method that he had always ordained to bring about redemption. Think back to the immediate aftermath of the fall of mankind in Genesis 3. The serpent has deceived Eve and she and Adam freely choose to reject the father and embrace their own sin. God then says this to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The offspring being referred to here is Jesus. The heel of Jesus was bruised in the crucifixion, but through the crucifixion, the head of the serpent was crushed. Peter rightly teaches this crowd that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus had always been the plan. This was how things were going to go. And the work that is accomplished, the work of redemption, it remains the work of God. Peter says, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And the plan and working of the Father, he sent his Son to crush the head of the serpent through the crucifixion and resurrection so that he might call a people to himself. That is the plan of God, and it's been there since the beginning. 
And the reason I share this with you is that there is great freedom in it, friends. The plan of God has always been in place since the foundation of the world. And so as much as the world seems to be spinning out of control, he still is in control. None of this surprises him. He's not caught off guard by anything or anyone. And the wonderful thing about that is we can't mess up the plan of God. Since his will shall always be accomplished, it means that regardless of how things might appear, he is in control of all things. Hear that again, friends. You can't mess up the plan of God. No matter how big your sin is, no matter how bad you mess up, you're not more powerful than He is. In His providence, He has chosen to use imperfect people to proclaim His perfect Son. It's certainly not the plan I would have come up with. And I doubt it's the plan you all would have come up with, but it's the plan he did. And so that we, we can trust that it will work and it will be good, and it certainly has been and will continue to be. And so, my friends, you do not need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid that you're not good enough or capable enough to be a witness for God. You do not need to be afraid of where the world is going. He has chosen his church and every member of her to present Jesus. And so in his will, in his way, he will empower his people to draw those whom he has chosen to himself. It's a fact. It is the Lord who works and he does through, so through whom he chooses. And that is his church. Now, if that's the case, we, his church, are therefore called to faithfully proclaim the unique, risen Lord Jesus in his fullness. We are called to proclaim all of that which the gospel teaches us. And that means being honest about the problem we all face. On two different occasions in this sermon, Peter states that those in the crowd crucified Jesus. Now sure, it was through the hands of lawless men, by which he means the Roman authorities, but it was the people who crucified Jesus. That seems kind of harsh. After all, what did we say last week? Many of these people were only in the city for the Feast of Weeks. They've come from all corners of the known world to Jerusalem to worship. How many of them weren't even in the city when Jesus was crucified? They weren't even there. And yet, Peter says, you crucified him. That's kind of the point, isn't it? They weren't there, and yet they crucified him. How? How is that possible? It was because of sin. It was sin that caused the death of Christ. It was for our sins, the sins of the whole world, that Jesus died. It was our sin that held him there. Jesus sacrificed himself, even for us who live now, so many years after the fact. And it was to atone for sin. 
Now, it is unpopular to speak of sin. I know that very well. But if we do not speak of sin, if we don't speak of the problem that literally every human has faced, we cannot speak honestly about the crucifixion and the resurrection. We can't speak honestly about Jesus. Because there would be no need if humanity did not sin. But I don't think you need me to point it out for you. We do. And even if you don't need me to, I'm going to keep doing it. We do sin. And without an atonement for our sin, we could never be forgiven. And yet Jesus himself, he made and is the perfect atonement. He is the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God so that our sin becomes not something that we should hide or try to shy away from, but something that we can lay down before him. We can ask him to take it from us, to forgive us. Because God does not break us down to leave us broken and defeated, but rather to make us new and whole again. And that is where Peter's faithful, amazing sermon takes his people. Sharing the uniqueness of Jesus according to the plan of the Father, being honest about the problem so that the solution can be applied. You crucified Jesus. You crucified the Son of God. Your sin caused it. That is what this crowd hears. They hear it and they hear it well. And then the result comes. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That is a wonderful thing to read. It is what we all need. To be cut to the heart. It was an idiom of that time that meant to be convicted. To see and to recognize the pain and sentence of your sin upon yourself. It was meant, it's what happens when you see your need for Christ. And that is what faithful preaching of Christ does. It cuts us to the heart so that we might see our need for him. but not to be left in our need. Peter offers the people the solution. It's one of my biggest frustrations in life, certainly over the past few years. It's how great so many of us are at talking about the problem without ever offering a solution. No matter what the issue is, Whether it's the problems of the church or the problems of culture or the problems of government. It's always the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem. Never a solution. Thanks be to God, he's better than that. He shows the problem so that we might receive the solution. The crowd is cut to the heart and then they ask a fantastic question. What shall we do? Verse 
We hear of our sin. We see that it is too great for us to bear. What shall we do? Help us, they are crying out. We know we need God. How do we have Him? And that's what Peter tells them. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Believe in Jesus. Be baptized in His name. Be united to Him once and for all and receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit that you might be set apart as Christ's own forever. The problem and the glorious solution. David prophesied in Psalm 16 about the resurrection of Jesus, that the Father did not abandon Christ to hell. Jesus was not abandoned by God in the crucifixion. It was all a part of the Father's plan. And because Christ was not abandoned to death, neither are we who believe in him and have been baptized into him. He was not abandoned but raised to new life. You, whom the Father has called to himself, you are not abandoned to sin and death, but in his grace you are given new life. That is the cry of the church. That is the content of our proclamation. That is the powerful word that changes everything. It is the gift of the Father to the world through the hands of His people. Jesus Christ, the only Savior. For He is the only one who is stronger than death itself. And since He died and is now alive again, He offers us new life in His name. It is the mission of the church to carry that grace-infused offer to the world. In Jesus, we have hope. In Jesus, we have life. He is all we have. He is all we need. Him and Him alone. And so in His power, we proclaim Him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we praise you for your grace that though we are sinful and left to our own devices, we would never receive you. You came for a wayward people. You called us to yourself. We thank you for the gift of the resurrection. We thank you that through the sacrifice of Christ, our sins have been atoned for. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us not to hide in our guilt or shame, but to come to you again, to ask for and receive your forgiveness, that we might have that new life that you have promised. And we ask, Father, that you would work through this church, that we would share that life-changing truth that Jesus is alive, he is risen, And he is our redemption. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.